Welcome to the Bethel Church Podcast. Each week you'll be able to check in for our messages from Sunday and other material. We hope that our messages encourage you in your walk in daily faith with Jesus. Make sure to check out our website, BethelStratford.org. going to continue in our series, Hunger for the Lord. And today we're actually going to wrap it up and we're going to talk about hungering for Christ-likeness. But as we start this series, as we go to wrap it up, I just want to touch on the verse that kind of started this. And it's Psalms 34 verse 8. It says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is a man who trusts in him. My desire as we've gone through this series is just to stir in you a passion, a desire, a yearning just to be in the presence of God, to get closer to him, to a point where you taste and see that God is good. There's a part of God that he wants us to not only sense his presence, but feel his presence and to taste his presence, to taste and see that he's good. There's such a goodness with God. And in society today, in our world today, he's not presented that way. And even as believers, I think because of the presentation that's around us, we have a hard time believing that we can get to a point where we taste and see that God is good. And the closer we get to him, the more we become like him, um, the greatest thing about that is we change. We change. And so 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Let's just pray for a moment. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for how it encourages us, how it challenges us, how it shapes us and changes us. And so, Father, this morning I ask you to hide me behind the cross. Let my words be your words. Give us ears to hear, hearts to be open, Father, that, Lord, we leave here challenged but changed to look more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. So here it tells us that if we are in Christ, we are new creations. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I don't know about you, but I am constantly becoming new. There's parts of me, there's uh, parts of me that are not fully Christ-like yet, And I don't believe I will be fully Christ-like until I stand with Christ. And therefore, I am always on a process of becoming more like Christ. So none of us in this room have made it yet. If you're here for the first time in church and you're just trying to figure this whole church thing out and sometimes we feel like, oh, we can't go to church because we don't have it together, I just want you to know that everybody sitting around you is here because they just acknowledge that they don't have it together. And we are here not, because, uh, not just because we love Jesus, but because we understand we can't do life without him. And we've never been asked to do life without him. He never planned for us to do life without him. And so we are actually just kind of a bunch of messed up people that love Jesus. And we lean on each other to try to get it right. And we're just pressing in closer to him. So if you're here this morning and you're just like, I don't know if I fit in, you fit in beautifully. And so I hope you just feel at home. But as we are becoming new, as we are shaping to become more like Christ, here's what we need to understand. We will always become 
like the things we worship. Whatever you worship, you will become like that. I once heard it said, how do you know what you worship? And the easiest way to do it, I've been told, is you look at your calendar and your bank statement. The things you spend your time and your money on, that's what you worship. That's what you worship. And so if you're trying to figure it out, check your calendar. How much time do you spend on certain things other than God? How much time do you spend with God? How much money do you give to God? How much money do you spend on other things? And it's just this idea of that will show us what we worship. How much, we, how much time... Time is always a thing in today's world. How many people know that the Canadian response to the statement, how are you doing, was always before, the Canadian statement was always a quick response, good. It didn't matter if your life was falling apart, your natural response was good. Today, when we ask people, how are you doing, the natural response today is busy. We're all busy. Everybody's busy. But we are so busy that we're too busy not to spend time with God. And so as we try to become more like him, we need to spend more time with him. And I don't know about you, if you're like me, in the busyness of schedules, spending time with God I find sometimes challenging. And so I had to look at my calendar. And what I've been trying to do the last little while, I've been open and honest before that I'm a little bit of a night hawk. I have no problem staying up till about 2 in the morning and getting up and going to work and doing these things. But then all of a sudden I realized that there's a window in my house and not an actual window, a time window, where if I get up between 5 and 5.30, I'm up for an hour or two hours before anybody else is really up. And so that allows me time to spend time with the Lord. And when I wake up in that time, it makes my day a whole lot easier. Now, many of us in the room, we say automatically, well, Chad, that's kind of hard to get up that time. You don't know my schedule. But here's the thing I do know. I know that when Melissa and I were in Toronto, and I was working construction, and she was doing worship in young adults at Queensway, we would do young adults together, and Monday mornings, we would get home at like 12.30, 1 a.m. after doing young adults, and I would have to be up at 3 so I could be at work for 5 doing constructions, and I, and I was able to do it. But for some reason, to get up early, spend time with God, it was hard. So here's what I clued into. We will get up if it's important. Because we will all get up early to get to work. I don't know about you, but we will, for some of the guys and the ladies in the room, we will wake up early in the morning to make a tee-off time. We will get up early in the morning to make a hockey game. We will get up early in the morning to do certain things. But when it comes to God, it's too early. So it's not too early, it's just not priority. I'm just going to push a little bit. I'm preparing you already. See, we will do certain things for money that we won't do for Jesus. We'll get up early because we'll go to work. And I find it very interesting, here's where I push, that in it doesn't matter if it's the 9 a.m. service, the 11 a.m. service, a 6.30 p.m. service, it doesn't matter when the church service is. Most times when I look through the room at the start time, I literally pray, oh, Lord, nobody's here. But by the time it's quarter after, 20 after, we're full, it feels a lot better, and you're like, okay, people showed up. 
why is it that we'll never be late for work, but we have no problem being late for church? I know, it gets really quiet. And, and I'm pushing, don't, don't, I'm just glad you're here first, don't, don't take it any other way. I'm just glad you're here. But there is a question, and I heard a pastor say this once. If we paid people by the time they're here at church, will people show up at time? It's a question. We're not going to do that, I apologize. But what will we do for money that we won't do for God? See, it's not a matter of not having time to spend with God. It's a matter of what are we worshiping. Now, none of you would sit here and say you worship your job. But some of us, our actions speak differently. And so when we become new, when we become more like him, the only way we become more like him is if we worship him. We worship who he is. We celebrate who he is. See, I believe as Christians, we are called to a standard, and this standard is what Paul encouraged Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.12. It says, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. I don't think it matters our age in the room. I believe that this is what God is asking us to do. He's asked us to um, set the example, set the example for believers in speech and in conduct and in faith, in love, in faith, and in purity. This is what we are called to do as Christians. We are called to set the example. But the understanding is in the scripture, if you look at it, it doesn't say set the example for non-believers. It says set the example for believers. If you look at 1 Timothy 4.12, it says, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. This is for how we're supposed to set the example for one another. Too often do we believe we're supposed to set the example for society. But here God is telling us to set the example in speech and conduct, in love and in faith and in purity for believers. For believers. I agree 100% with what Pastor said earlier. He said that society, there's lots of things happening in society that I don't believe God's happy with. But for us to change society, we first need to get it right. If we're not setting the example ourselves, how do we expect them to have an example to follow? There's so many things today in our world, today in the church, that are acceptable that weren't years ago. I don't know if you've ever heard this illustration, but I heard it once where years ago, the world was here, but the church was here in our standard. And you can do it this way if you want. Here we were, here was the world, and, and there was always a gap. So our standard was always higher than the world's. But what happened is this, as the world has slipped, the gap hasn't grown. It stayed the same. And so as the world slips, the church slips. But yet we feel good because there's still a gap. But there are so many things today that are acceptable in the house of God that were never before. Now, some things I'm thankful that are left. Some things are gone away with the lights, with the heat today. I couldn't imagine with a tie on, another jacket. Praise the Lord. We have progressed a little bit. But there's certain things that the Bible talks about, and we can talk about gray areas, we can talk about all that things, but the Bible says this, just because it's permissible does not mean it's beneficial. See, the difference is before, society knew there was a difference. 
So when we shared with our, our non-believing neighbors, when we shared with um, non-believing people, they saw a difference. But too often today, does our lifestyle not appear different to theirs? We watch the same things. We laugh at the same things. We talk about the same things. We use the same language. We eat and drink the same things. We are no different. And so when we think of it that way, what sets us apart? What separates us from them? Why would they look at our life and go, oh, I want, that's different? We make them feel so comfortable because we're so close. We need to love them but be separate. We set the example in our speech, in the conduct, in our love, in faith, and purity. See, God is perfect in love, power, character, and wisdom. This is who he is. He is perfect. Now, somehow, when I was putting this together, I lost the wisdom. <laughs> so by faith, let's just believe it's there. Okay? It was there at some point. I don't know what happened. So I apologize. That's me. But I believe that God still gives us wisdom and that he still has wisdom. So if we want to be like him, we need to be like him in these areas. We need to love. We need to love like Christ loved. We need to love the way he loves. In 1 John 4, 19, we love because he first loved us. It's the only reason we know how to love. It's the only reason that we understand what love is, is because he loved us. See, 1 John 4 uh, goes on in verse 20, 21. It says, whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. That's a heavy verse, isn't it? That one kind of stinks. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. We must love, or the scriptures tell us that God is not in us. I don't know about you, but that's heavy. That's a heavy verse to say. It's impossible to love God and not love those around us. The scripture tells us that if we say that we love God, but we hate brother or a sister, that we are a liar. Now we can look at this as our immediate family, which might even be harder. But if we look at it in a greater perspective, loving our neighbors... How can we hate somebody and love God at the same time? Scriptures tell us we can't. We must love brothers and sisters. We must love people. We must pour out God's love into this world. See, here's, here's the interesting thing we have to wrap our mind around. John 3, 16. If you know Jesus at all, you know this verse. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. But there's a verse 17. And this is the verse we forget. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. See, if we're supposed to love the world, he never sent us here to condemn it. He sent us here to love it, to love the non-believers, to pour out his love, 
Not to condemn, but to love them, to welcome them into his family. And once he gets into, once they come into his family, our first response should not be, well, now your life has to change. Our first response should be, feel the love of Jesus. Because I don't know about you, but he loves me enough that he just keeps working in me and changing me. And there are things in my life that still need to be changed. But here's what I love about God. He doesn't always use a jackhammer. There's times where he just uses sandpaper. So there's areas of your life, right at this moment, he might be using some sandpaper on you. He might be using a jackhammer. I hope not. That's, those are the tough seasons. Anybody go through jackhammer seasons? Those hurt, don't they? But at the end of it, I don't know about you, but it feels a lot lighter when he knocks those boulders off. But we are a process getting more like him, more like him, and so he's always working. I would actually push a little bit and say, if you were the same today as you were six months ago, I would question how close you are to God. Because I truly believe he loves all of us enough that he's always working in our lives. Sometimes big, sometimes small, but he's always working. He always loves me enough to go, Chad, you got that, good job, keep working on that, and by the way, poke, work on this. And all about you, but that, that's a good Christian walk for me. He doesn't tear me down. He just points at it, and then we do it together. And he walks with me, and he gives me the strength, and he gives me the encouragement when I fall. He helps pick me up. We are here to serve and to love. Bill Johnson, he says in his book, Face to Face, on page uh, 190, he says this, It is our privilege to give time, money, attention, friendship, and so on. Sacrificial giving is sacrificial living. While we can give without loving, we can't love without giving. By nature, love does not require anything in return, or it is not love. See, many of us, we are praying for our non-believing friends to come to the Lord. We're praying that they will come to church. We will, we'll even hand out posters and flyers, and we'll hand stuff to them and invite them to come. But I don't believe that God always just wants them to come. Too often is our hope that they'll come to a church service and then they'll give their hearts to the Lord. God wants us to go to them. That's why Jesus said, go into all the world. Go into all the world. We're not loving if we're waiting for them to come to us. We're loving if we go to them. And when we go to them with no strings attached, going to them, willing to share Christ's love and loving them to a point where we don't need anything in turn. See, the Good Samaritan, he's a good example of this. If, uh, if you remember this Good Samaritan story, um, somebody gets beat up and, and robbed, and they're on the side of the road, and they're uh, bleeding, and they're left for dead, and a uh, few people come along, leaders, religious people, and they walk on the far side of the road just to get around them. And all of a sudden, the Good Samaritan comes along, and he helps. He picks them up, he looks after them, and here's the neat thing. He looks after them and helping nurture them, and when he can't, he pays somebody else to do it. He's there wanting to help. But see, sometimes when we want to help people, we're so worried about what they're going to do with our help. We're so concerned about their responsibility of our help. I don't know about you, but there's so many times when we know of a need, especially if I'm in the moment just talking about a financial need, that when we go to, to bless somebody or we go to give something, too often do we use good stewardship as an excuse not to give. 
well, what if they use the money for something that's not right? Well, that's not my responsibility. Sandy, you're up front. I'm picking on you, buddy. If all of a sudden, Sandy, I felt God tell me to give him $100. Pretty happy, right? <laughs> but all of a sudden, I hand Sandy 100 bucks and I tell him, oh, by the way, you can only use it for one of these three things. Well, I'm not giving as the Lord has asked. I'm giving with strings attached. God just asked for us to be responsible for our side and not worry about their stewardship. I know so many times when we give to the poor, when we give to somebody who in need, the first thought is they're going to use it on crack or drugs or alcohol and possibly rock and roll. (laughs) But this is always our concern. And we use good stewardship as an excuse not to follow what God's asked us to do. We've been asked to love and look after the poor, look after the widows. It's not my responsibility what Sandy does with 100 bucks that I give him. I'm not giving you 100 bucks. <laughs> you can ask Pastor Carlo. <laughs> we are responsible to love, and love requires giving. I always think it's interesting. Everybody, you know, you meet a young teenager, especially a lot of times it's the guy, and they're like, you know, when I meet the right girl, we're not going to be spending money on all this silly stuff. And they have these strict rules. And then they meet the right girl, and that just goes flying out the window. Because when you love, you give. When you love, you give. You cannot love without giving. You can give without loving. But we are supposed to love and love unconditionally. We're supposed to show God's power. 2 Timothy 3.5 says this, mark, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abrasive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power have nothing to do with such people. We need to first believe in the power of God. We need to believe in his power. This verse, there's so many things that it lists, but I'm not actually even worried about some of them because some of us are just like, yeah, we don't do those things. But the last part of this is what holds me and convicts me. Having a form of godliness but denying its power have nothing to do with such people. We need to get back to a point where we believe the word of God and actually that he's going to do what he says he's going to do. That he is a God of power. That he is a God that still heals. He is a God that still does the miraculous signs. That he is a God that touches people's lives and can change a situation in a heartbeat. Now, again, have we all prayed for something and it not happened? Yeah. But that's because he's God and we're not. I don't understand why sometimes he chooses to answer prayer and sometimes he chooses not to. The only thing that I can understand is that he knows more than I do. Because if I can comprehend and explain to you every decision God has made, trust me, if this brain can tell you everything about God, you don't want to serve that God. He's God. But as Pastor Carlos said just a few minutes ago in leading worship, we can't be led by our feelings. 
There's times where my experiences cannot affect my theology. I understand that God can heal and he can touch lives. The times that he doesn't, why, I don't know, but I still am faithful to who he is. See, I always understand this. Did he raise Lazarus from the dead? Yes. Is Lazarus here today? No. So at one point, Lazarus died, and they left him in the grave. Why not the first time? Why the, I don't know. But I trust God. And in moments in our lives, that's all we can do is trust him. Because see, he says this to us in John 14, 12, and I'm just crazy and simple enough to believe it. It says, most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. I believe this. I believe I will do greater things because he tells me I will. So here's the thing. If I'm not, I don't blame God. Same thing happens in my home, with my kids, at work. If things aren't gelling properly, I try to do an inward take. It doesn't happen immediately. It doesn't always be the first thing I do, but I really try to take a step back and go, okay, what's going on with me? Why am I rubbing the wrong way with Melissa? Why am I rubbing the wrong way with my kids? Why am I rubbing the wrong way with coworkers? What's going on? And I try to do an internal exam because I can't change anybody else but me. And if I'm not able to do the things God has said that I can do, I automatically am pretty sure that it's not him, it's me. And so if you're asking God to do something that's not working, check your walk with God. Now, when I say that, don't hear like, oh, you were a massive sinner. No, ask God, where am I just out of line? You could be off just one degree. It doesn't mean you need a 180 turn. By the way, don't ever say 360 degree, because if you say 360, you're right back to where you were. Just mathematical equations. All right, you always want to do a 180, not a 360, just to clarify. I've heard it many times. Did like a 360, right back where I was. Uh, sorry, squirrel. Um, that didn't happen in the first service. That was extra just for you guys. So if it's not happening, I need to get closer to his face. Because here's what Jesus says about miracles. Just want to hear, see his witnessing and how he talks about sharing the gospel. He says this in John 10, 37. If I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe in me. But if I do, though you do not believe in me, believe the works that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. So if the signs and wonders aren't happening, don't believe in me. But if the signs and wonders are happening, you know what, you don't even have to believe in me. But just see what's happening and believe in the Father. Jesus is willing to say, look, I'll just step right out of it. You don't have to believe in me. Don't believe in me. Don't worry about it. But see all this stuff? If this is happening, you better look at the Heavenly Father and you better believe in him. But if this stuff isn't happening, don't worry about it. How much do we need the power of God today? Society is getting so wrapped up in the mystical stuff. Just, I don't encourage you watching them, but just check out what movies are coming out and what's happening. Superhero movies everywhere. People want to see the supernatural. The um, witchcraft and all that kind of stuff. People want to see the power of something. So they're searching for it. 
And guess what? Hollywood's given it to them. So what we think will actually scare people away, like, Chad, don't do something creepy on a Sunday. We brought it from friends, okay? Don't pray for something that's going to weird people out. They actually desire it. Because they might not actually believe everything that's in here, but when they see God work and they understand that he's real, they'll start to read this through him and begin to understand it. I once heard somebody say this, when we're afraid of what people will think when the Holy Spirit moves, we actually believe we love that person more than the Holy Spirit does. Don't be afraid of the Holy Spirit. Don't be afraid of his power. It's what people are actually desiring to see. We need to have Christ's character. Christ-like character, by the way, is more than just victory over sin. It's more than us just saying, well, I don't sin anymore. Because we all kind of do. It doesn't matter if it's big or small. Sin is sin. You might not kill somebody, but when was the last time you told a white lie, which, by the way, is still a lie? Life is living living a life of faith, which is righteousness, peace, and joy. This is the character of God, having righteousness, peace, and joy. We live righteously. It means that I live completely for God. Completely. I leave everything else aside. I don't try to seek anything that is ungodly. I seek fully after God. What we need to understand in our society again today, and in the church more than anything, we need to understand that temporary satisfaction isn't worth it. We live in a society where now, if you want to uh, email so fast, you don't even really send letters anymore, because who wants to wait on those? We send emails. Emails became slow, so we send text messages. We don't even make phone calls anymore. A lot of times if we're going to phone somebody, we use a video chat because it's better. We can see each other. If you're an introvert like me, don't send, just text. I'll, deny, I'll, I'll avoid the call. I'm joking. <laughs> kind of. But we expect things so quickly that we need to understand the satisfaction that we're looking for is the kingdom of God. We forget what delayed gratification is. We forget that by saying no to this, will actually get us the greatest satisfaction ever. By avoiding stuff here on earth and having eternity is so worth the delay. Because the Bible tells us our life here is but a mist. It's gone so quickly. We need to understand that righteous living is what we're looking for. Too many times in our walk with God, We don't hang out with unbelievers, but we need to show them what righteous living is. So we actually need to spend time with them. And as I said earlier, we're so close with them that they don't see a difference. So we need to live apart but live together. If that makes sense, do you understand what I'm saying? Our lifestyles are different, but we walk with them. So they understand that there's something different. The early church and Jesus associated with unbelievers but they didn't live like them. That's where we've blurred our lines. This is what we're called to do. We're called to live with them, but live differently so that they see something different. One of the things we have different is the godly character of peace. We have peace in our lives. Romans 16, 20 says, and the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. I don't know about you, but that is so encouraging to me. This verse is a verse that many of us need to hold on to. And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly, soon. 
So no matter what situations happen in your life, no matter what is going on, very shortly, crushed and victory is ours. This to me is just brings a peace as we talk about, a peace that scripture talks about is that passes all understanding. There is supposed to be a peace in us that rests upon us, that we're able to rest out the storm. So many times Jesus talks about a storm coming in our lives, but we're supposed to have peace in it. It doesn't take them away, but we have peace in the storm. So our friends ask, hey, all of this stuff going on, why are you so chill? Well, I just trust God. Well, that seems silly. Losing sleep seems silly. I just trust the Lord. Is that easy? No. Do any of us get it perfect all the time? No. But it's what we strive for. It's what we go towards, knowing that he is a God of peace. The other one is joy, the character of joy. Pastor Charles talked about this last week. If you didn't listen to the message, go and hear it online. But joy is to salvation what tears are to repentance. So a lot of times when people repent, because of the forgiveness that's coming into their life and the freedom that they're feeling, they begin just to weep. It's a part of the true forgiveness of understanding, man, it just happens. Well, joy is supposed to come to your life with salvation. Why are you so joyful? I'm saved. Why are you smiling so much? Jesus loves me. There's supposed to be joy in our lives. We find joy in our lives by learning how to rejoice. If you're not sure how to rejoice, find somebody to teach you. Find something to be thankful for. If you're not sure how to rejoice, find it online. Find somebody. I remember when we took Emma to first buy, uh, we were buying her shoes, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, she grabs a pair of shoes with laces. This was a few years ago. And we're like, oh, this is going to be bad. Because neither of us had taught her how to tie shoes yet. And she wanted these ones. And you know a girl with shoes. And so she grabs these shoes and she tries them on. And Melissa and I are standing back watching and we're like, we're just going to let her fail safely. And then we'll grab the Velcro ones. Because neither of us want the headache at the moment of teaching her how to tie shoes. And all of a sudden she puts them on and she puts her foot up on the bench and she just, boom, nails it. And I remember we looked at each other and just that whisper, right? That like, did you teach her how to do that? No. Did you teach her? No. So we both look at her and, Emma, how did you learn to tie shoes? And she looks right at us. A video at the library. <laughs> so if you're trying to teach kids how to tie shoes, just take them to the library. <laughs> but if you don't know how to rejoice, find a video at the library. <laughs> find somebody. To teach you how to rejoice. Now, can I show you something? Just talking about rejoice and making you laugh, do you know what you did? You smiled. I want you to try something. I want you to try laughing without smiling. That wasn't a real laugh, Chad. But you can't do it. You can't do it. Laughter comes with joy. And smiles come. You want to know what I started doing just a little while ago because as we talk about life is busy. So right now, life's a little crazy. And so 
I'm still trying to get, I still am trying to get up early in the morning, but I'm, I'm fighting this schedule going to bed late. And so Melissa will go to bed sometimes, and I'll stay up, and I'll find something on Netflix, and don't worry, it's clean. But here's what I've been watching. Stand-up comedians. Clean ones, don't worry. Well, why am I watching stand-up comedians? Because I want to laugh. What do you mean? I sit there and laugh because laughter brings joy. And Melissa has watched with me sometimes, and I'll laugh at the stupidest things. Don't worry. And she'll even look at me like sometimes like, really? And I'm like, that's hilarious. (laughs) And so she'll laugh at me. So if you need laughter in your life, just come watch something with me. You'll either laugh with me or at me, and either way you're laughing. But I'm seeking out laughter because I want joy. I'm trying to just bring joy into my life because that's where God is. And so how do you know when you're around a good friend? What do you tell people? Oh, I hung out with this friend. I haven't seen each other in a while. And oh, we're such good friends. Guess what What'd you guys do? Oh, we laughed so hard. That's how you know when you're around good friends. It doesn't matter if you're in a car. It doesn't matter if you're playing a board game. It doesn't matter if you're watching a movie. If you're watching a movie in a theater, you're probably a distraction because you're just laughing so hard together. That's what friends do together, right? When you get together with friends, you're in such a comfort zone that you act so different than when you're around people that aren't your close, close friends because there's a comfort that you will be so silly that you'll just laugh. And I believe a relationship with God is supposed to be the closest relationship what we have. And I believe that he actually wants us to laugh together. I believe that he will spend time with me to a point where we just kind of laugh together. I know there's moments where he hits, sits in heaven and laughs at me. And so I'm just wanting to laugh with him. If you want laughter in your life, can I give you a word of advice? And a mentor told me this one time. Don't take yourself so seriously. Because nobody else does. Kind of hurt at first, but made me laugh. Don't take yourself so seriously. I'm learning each day how to just take myself less seriously. And if you want to laugh, start with laughing at yourself. It's a lot more enjoyable. Bring joy into your life. Begin to smile. Begin to laugh. When your neighbors could hear you in the backyard laughing your heads off, they want to come over. They want to know what's going on. Bring joy. Because Nehemiah 8.10 says, And then he said to them, Go your way and eat the fat, drink the sweet, send portions to those whom nothing is prepared, for this day is holy to our Lord. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Find the joy. Let it be your strength. God also gives us wisdom. Character of God is wisdom. When Christ living in us, it gives us the potential of appealing to the world around us. We have wisdom to give to the world. But here's the thing. While sinners love to be with Jesus, they don't like to be with us. And this, I believe, is what God's asking us to change in today's world right now. As pastor said, we're not presented all the time as a loving church, we're, as The society has twisted it that we are hateful people when we understand that God has called us to love. So here's how you defeat hate. You love more. We have to overdo our love. How can you do that? One simple thing for you guys, and it's easy, 
And it's not a pastor asking you to come and be a part of something. It's literally how you can show Stratford love. Just get on the float tomorrow night. Get on the float. You know what people tell me that I, I know that don't serve God? They say our float, when it's coming down the road, one, it's one of the biggest, it's the loudest, and it's the most joyful one. People are smiling, people are laughing, we're having a great time. If you can't walk far, get on the float. If you can walk, walk behind with me. I always joke that it's my walk for the year. Melissa asks, hey, you want to go for a walk? It's like, I walked on Canada Day. <laughs> go for a walk. We'll hand out glow sticks. We'll have a great time. But it shows people the joy of the Lord. That's a simple way of doing it. One other way is this, and I, I would love for us to start. I've been intentionally using the word this morning, non-believer. Because I wanted to get to this part. I just heard this and I want to share it with you. And one of the ways that we can begin to love people that don't serve God yet is not to refer to them as non-believers, but refer to them as pre-believers. Just pre-believers. They're not non-believers, they're pre-believers. They're just about to. They're just waiting for us. And I don't know about you, but it automatically changes our thought process of all their non-believers. No, the pre-believers, just about to. Just on the edge. They just need you to come up and push them. In a loving way. <laughs> Wrap your arms around them and jump. You know what I mean? Love them, but pull them, walk with them. They're pre-believers. They're not non-believers. Pre-believers. Just love that. We are the answer. If we pray... I want you to know, God's wisdom will give you the answer your workplace is looking for. God will give you the answer that your society is looking for. I believe that just in the, like in the Bible, how many people realize in the Bible the leaders would call for the prophets to get a word from God to know how to deal with situations? I believe that our society desperately needs us as a church to rise back up, not just in love, but also in godly wisdom. I believe we have answers today that our town needs, that our city needs. I believe we have answers today to affect your workplace. I believe we have answers today to affect our country. The only difference is that we just need to spend time with God to know what he has so we can lay out a plan and walk in and not in a cocky way, but in a loving way, say, hey, have you thought of this? And just step back. And when they say, this is great, we don't need any, any affirmation. They just take it and run with it. And they realize, hey, we're struggling in an area. Let's reach out to the church and ask what they think we should be doing. I believe God wants us to get back to this. And this is where we're going. So to hunger for Christ's likeness, we need to show his love, power, character, and wisdom. And the way we do this is by the renewing of our minds. Not society's minds. Our minds. And we do that by believing this, God is good. He is better than what we actually think. So as Christians, we just need to change the way we think. Nothing is impossible. As believers, we are assigned to invade what has previously been called impossible. We are supposed to step in and make things possible. And this is an I statement. You need to make the I statement in this. I fight from the victory of Christ we're on the offense. Don't forget that we've already won. We've already won. And the last one is one of the hardest ones for us to say. I am significant. That one's easier to throw in the we are significant, but it's I am significant. Each and every one of us. I understand there's a humility that comes from seeing our past, but I don't know about you, but there's a greater humility for seeing our future.
So here's what I want us all to do. I'd like us all to stand. If you're new with us today, I've never, I don't really do this, and it's because simply I think it's weird. But we're going to do it anyway. So if you're here and you're like, do you do this all the time? Because it's kind of weird. No, we don't, and it's because it's weird. So here's what we're all going to do. I want everybody to repeat after me, and we're going to walk through these things. So you're going to say it and believe it. God is good. That first time was way better than the first service. I'm just telling you, you guys actually believe it. I don't have to encourage you. It's a good job. All right. Nothing is impossible. Now let's say that a little more like confidence. Nothing is impossible. I fight from the victory of Christ. Now this one, I know we did it earlier, but we didn't do that in the first service, so it seems even weirder for you guys, but in the first service we did it this way, and I believe we need to. Just place your hand over your heart, and this one's a hard one. I am significant. See, I know you kind of follow my lead a little bit, but that one was naturally quieter, so we're going to say that one a little bit louder. I am significant. So here we go, all four. God is good. Nothing is impossible. I fight from the victory of Christ. I am significant. So Father God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you, Lord, that we are significant, that, Father God, there is nothing impossible with you and that we have already won, so we have victory. Lord, I just stand and declare that you are good. And so, Father, help us with the way we think. Help us, Father, to see your goodness. And through that, let us be a light to others. Lord, help us to love what we classify as the unlovable. Lord, help us to see people with your eyes. That, Lord, the more we become like you, that love just flows out of us. Love just pours out of us, Father God. And, Lord, I pray that we begin just to give wisdom, Lord. Help us to spend time with you, to seek godly wisdom, and to just encourage people and lift people up. Help us with our character, Father God. Help us to have Christ-like character and walk in your power, Lord Jesus. Father, I pray over every one of us that, Lord, we will live in righteousness, we will live with peace, and we will have joy in our lives. Let us be so Christ-like that people actually want to be with us, that people want to spend time with us, and that, Lord, we will show them what your love is like and welcome them into your family. And, Lord, help us break our hearts for the pre-believers, Lord God. Let us be a light and shine bright for you. Guide us today. In your name we pray. Amen. Man, God bless you. Have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow night. Thanks for checking out this week's message, Bethel Church Podcast. We hope that it's blessed you and encouraged you, and that you come back and check out next week's message as well.